Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You may be seated. Well, you can fake a lot of things in life. I think it's possible that you can even fake a spirit-filled life, at least for a while. <clears throat> and you can fool friends and family in a lot of ways. Perhaps if you fake something long enough, you can even make yourself believe that you are something that you're not. But I think that there is one quality that is basically impossible to fake. And that is the quality of willful and joyful submission. I think if you're a fake, you can have grudging submission. You can have bitter submission. You can have a kind of a grit your teeth, plastic smile kind of submission. But joyful Willing submission. I don't think so. I don't think it's a quality that can be faked. The passage here in Ephesians is telling us that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, certain things become true of us. And you can see from the text here in Ephesians that there is a new way of singing. There's new music that becomes part of a spirit-filled life. There's new ways of speaking. There's new ways of thanking. Thanksgiving becomes a home, um, a, a clear description of a spirit-filled person. But Paul doesn't leave the passage until he lists at least one more, and that is the spirit of, of uh, the spirit-filled life is one of submission. I've chosen to speak this morning about the power of submission. And I believe, as I said, that one of the things that will be true about a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit is that there is an attitude of submission that comes from our hearts, that comes from within. Now, I don't have to tell you that we don't live in such a society. You hardly ever see it in the world. If you've taken the time to read the newspaper or see any kind of news um, media outlet of any kind, Submission is not something that is a hallmark of our society. You hardly ever see it in the world that we're living in. Imagine, imagine boarding an airline, a, a, an airplane, and you sit in your seat, and across the aisle from you is a button-down, sharp-dressed business person. And as the flight gets underway, he pulls out a book, and the book is entitled... 
Joyful submission in the corporate arena. It's difficult to visualize, isn't it? Because in the corporate world, it doesn't work that way. In the corporate world, the way to get to the top is to put everybody else and everything else out of, out of, your, uh, out of your life that is a hindrance in any sort of way. You don't see it in the sports world either. Joyful, willing submission is hardly part of the sports world either. Players revolt against team management or coaches. Coaches revolt against general managers. Players rebel and squabble with their teammates. There's not much submission in this arena of society either. <clears throat> And when you think of it, real joyful and willing submission is unusual. It doesn't come from within ourselves. Hardly in any way does it come from within our old man. In and of itself, submission is an act of God that comes from um, a transformation that has taken place in our lives. <clears throat> And so we sit here at Weavertown Church on this Sunday morning with an open Bible before us. And we read here in Ephesians 5 that when we are spirit-filled, one of the undeniable qualities of our life is that there will be an attitude of submission toward other people, toward one another. And I want you to notice that an attitude of submission, I think, was fairly much an unknown truth in Jesus' time, before Jesus taught it, and around the time he taught it, he began, Jesus began to set this principle in motion. Jesus began to explain and teach that submission was actually the way to succeed. He was teaching it to his disciples, and it's almost like you can hear a collective um, mouth drop moment when Jesus teaches this. They had never heard anything like this before. And we notice through the Gospels that it, it is actually a very difficult principle for them to, to accept all the way up through Jesus' ministry, all the way up until they were in the upper room, all the way up until they were practically in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was being arrested before them. There was this this. Um, unwillingness to, to um, be anything but the top disciple. And so we notice through the Gospels that it was a difficult principle for them to follow. One of the most uh, outstanding passages, at least from my point of view, is in Matthew 20, where Jesus speaks and lays out this principle to the disciples. And he says... He, he uses, actually, he refers to what we would call as the corporate pyramid today, where the person who's at the top of the pyramid is the person who has, who, who is, has the greatest um, influence. Jesus turns that triangle upside down, and he says, actually, the person with the greatest influence is at the bottom, serving those that are around him. It's not so many people, the question is not how many people are under you. The question is how many people are over you. 
And how well are you serving in that particular way? When you belong to Christ, it's not how many people are you are over, but it's how many people are over you. How many people are you are serving? So Jesus calls the disciples, and he calls us today to live in a different way and in a different spirit. <clears throat> I picked out several things from Scripture that especially, um, yeah, different points on um, how the New Testament talks about our, the, the reasons for submission and places that are discussed in the New Testament about submission. First of all, we see that we're uh, to be submissive in the municipality. And I chose this word because it begins with N, M. But it basically just means in the town that we live in or in the borough or the township that we live in. <clears throat> and those of us who are involved <clears throat> in any kind of construction or building process <clears throat> are familiar with, with this part of the process. But we're to be submissive. According to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 5 and 7, or especially I picked out those three verses, how we're to be subject to higher powers. And he ties in the connection between being submissive to, to rulers and says that that is similar. By being submissive to rulers, you are actually being submissive to God. And we're to be submissive not only for wrath or for fear of punishment, but because of something that's within us. Again, carries that idea of, of submission coming from within, not something that is done merely on an outward level. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, is another passage that, sp that speaks on this very same subject. We submit to ordinances of man... For the Lord's sake, when we are submissive to rulers, to governors, to authorities, we're actually submitting to God. The Bible teaches that we're to be submissive to government authorities who are over us, even if we don't like them. Even when those authorities are ungodly, and even when we don't feel like submitting. And then further, we're to be submissive in the marketplace. And this very issue, it would be nice to have just a little bit of slack, wouldn't it? In business, we're to be submissive as we do business. We're to be submissive as we go about our work. And the Bible doesn't give us any slack. Look at Ephesians verse, chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. We're to be obedient, submissive to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of heart. And again, he carries this same idea as unto Christ. He's saying that if we're submissive to our bosses, if we're submissive in the area of our work, we're actually, it's a way of being submissive to Christ. Colossians 3 carries basically the same parallel idea. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, 
not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. See what I mean? We don't have very much room to wiggle in this, in this particular area. The fact is that if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the power within us to be submissive, even in very un, um, unusual and pressurized situations. We're to be submissive within the marriage. And I think it's especially interesting to note that here in this passage in Ephesians 5, which includes some of the strongest teaching that you'll find anywhere on the Holy Spirit, it's immediately followed by teaching on marriage. I think that is very, very interesting. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, I've picked out three passages or three verses out of this text that especially talk about being in subjection one to another. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. You see the idea of sacrifice that comes in the, this principle of submission and caring for other people um, above our interest in ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 has that same idea. Ye wives, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Verse 7, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. The idea of being submission, submissive within the marriage. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. There's also another aspect of submission that is talked about, and that is we are to be submissive to each other in the body. Submissive within the membership. When Paul says that we're to submit one to another in the fear of God, I'm convinced that he's talking to the believers. He's talking to all believers. He's talking to the whole church. All, anybody that would ever read this gospel, this epistle, whether we're a man or a woman, whether we're a boy or a girl, whether we're a parent or a child, there ought to be an attitude of submission that's obvious to people around us, people that see us. We're to have, we're to have a spirit of submission as leaders to our followers. In 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for ulterior motives, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. The spirit of a pastor of a church needs to be one of submission, submitting to the needs of the people, submitting to the demands of the task, submitting to the call of God on, on his life. I think it's a particular challenge of mine as a pastor, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit rather than to just fall back onto my own um, personal talent or giftings when it comes to fulfilling these responsibilities. And I find it especially enlightening to see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who had at his command legions of angels, according to the scriptures, he goes on to say in Luke chapter 22, 
He says, I am among you as one that serveth. Jesus is my perfect example. We're also to have a spirit of submission as followers to our leaders, people that are over us. In Ephesians, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey them that had the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. What's the writer saying? He's saying that we, if we are unsubmissive to those who are in leadership over us, it makes it difficult for them to give a good account because they have a big job to do. They are going to stand before God and give an account for how they have watched for our souls, how they have watched for my soul. And let's not make our leader's job difficult by being rebellious, but rather let's make their job easy, knowing that our leaders have a heart for us to become what God wants us to be. First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of ye be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. <clears throat> I think I know from experience what it's like to be a younger man and being tested with being submission, submissive to an older person. I think I know what I'm talking about. Well, Peter has the answer in the very next verse. In verse 7, he says, We are to cast all our care upon him, upon God, for he cares for us. And then the Bible is just as clear as could be. We are to have a spirit of submission to one another. We're to have a spirit of submission to one another. Now, some of you may possibly be thinking, how, do, how can this ever work? How can, we, how can we submit to other people? Well, have you ever been around two people who are sort of passive in their personality, non-assertive, and it's time to choose where we're going to go out to eat or um, to choose some other um, inconsequential decision such as that. Well, I've, I've already seen that. And the one person says something like, well, whatever, whatever you want to do is fine. Or I'll just go wherever you want to go. I'll, I'll just be happy with whatever you, you choose. And the other person says, no, you choose. And I'll just, I'll just do what you want to do. Well, some personalities, especially the more take charge type personalities, just want to interrupt those conversations and, and just pick one, decide for them. Well, I'd like to say and emphatically say that submission is not about being indecisive. It's not about being directionless. It, it is simply an attitude of the heart that I think has a profound impact on our actions, on how we go about our lives. Here's, here's what I mean. When we go into a meeting of some sort, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting with our friend or uh, perhaps some business meeting or something like that, we have our agenda, 
in our minds. We have points that we want to stress and drive home. There's, there's a, a perspective or a point of view that we would want to leave before the meeting is over. That's fine. But do we care about the opinion of other people as much as we care about the opinion of others? Are we seeking to understand the perspective or where the other person is coming from? And you say, wow, that's, that's hard for me. Well, it is for all of us. It is for all of us. And I will tell you very candidly that without the aid of the Holy Spirit, it is pretty much impossible for that to happen. This submission stuff is pretty much pie in the sky unless the Holy Spirit moves in and takes control of our lives. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Let's look just briefly at 1 Peter. You can open your Bibles to chapter 3 if you'd like. We have some of the same teaching, uh, similar teaching as we have here in Ephesians, where it talks about submission. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, Love us, brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. First of all, I see that submission requires a commitment. It requires a commitment to one another, one mind. What does that mean? What does it mean to be of one mind? If we're to be submitting to one another, it begins with spiritual oneness. I think first and foremost, having the same focus in our lives, having the same worldviews is, is important. For us to be able to interpret or to come to an interpretation of events that come around us, we need to have the same focus in our lives. And also, I think one-mindedness is a little bit different than being like-hearted. To be like-minded I think is something deeper than being like-hearted. Well, submitting one to another does not mean that we'll all have the same opinion on every subject. Actually, that would be very boring and would not require submission at all. Submission is not ever needed if we all see everything the same. Submission comes into play when there's disagreement. That's the only time that submission is needed. Otherwise, you're doing what you want to do, right? You're, you're going ahead with, with, what's, with what's wanted. But submission to one another is needed when we're in disagreement. But what happens so often in churches and in relationships otherwise, marriage relationships, is that we get our opinions ahead of God's word and ahead of God's principles. We take the things that are not absolute and we elevate them to the status of absolute. And in the process, we forget about some of the basic aspects of relationship. 
I haven't been around all that long, but I've, I think I've been around long enough to believe that most, most problems that we have in churches, and ours included, arise from the fact that we have not developed or learned how to um, deeply be committed or develop commitment to one another. Our commitment for each other is often too shallow. We're much more committed to our own interests and to our way of seeing things. And as a result, we're ready to go to war over some of the most trivial and smallest things. And yeah, I'm sure I've been guilty. And you and I can disagree on trivial trivial things. But it's so important for us to keep our focus on things that, that bind us together. To keep our focus on things that unite us. It's especially easy to keep our focus and to focus on what we have, what is not in common with the person around us. And we are going to have a very, very difficult time having a submissive attitude in in that sort of environment. I've seen it numerous times in churches and in relationships where there were differences of opinion and one person just simply says, look, I respect your point of view and I will just allow you to, let's, let's go that way. And that is a good example of taking one's own opinions, own preferences, and placing them on a lower shelf. At the same time, when you do that, you are taking the needs or the preferences of others and you're placing them at a level of on the top shelf, on a higher shelf. And people are able to do this with a cheerful attitude. It is a very strong and powerful witness. It is not natural. It is not something that's expected in the world and society that we live in. But that sort of attitude should be present, needs to be present in our lives, will be present in our lives if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And God gets a lot of glory for that. I'm convinced that many, much of our brotherhood strife could be eliminated if I'd have a deeper level of commitment for those around me. I think it's very unfortunate that our level of commitment deteriorates to the point sometimes where we think that we could be at a higher level of faith if the other person would just change their mind or do things differently, change their ways. Or if this or that person would just resign from their position, then I could be at a higher level of faith in some way. Or even possibly I could be better off if this person would just maybe leave our congregation or something like that. Submission goes beyond and above that. Submission demands commitment and care for one another. Secondly, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 indicates that there is a concern for others. See, notice in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, how he builds on this principle. Having one mind, having compassion one of another. Having compassion for one another. The word compassion is a very touching word in the New Testament. It means to experience pain. The word passion is a Latin word that means suffering. 
So when you talk about being passionate about something, the next time you talk about or describe yourself as being a passionate person, what you're actually saying is that you're a person who suffers. And the prefix compassion, C-O-M, that prefix means with. So when we are talking about compassion, we're talking about suffering with. That's what compassion is. Suffering with. I have a lot to learn on that. It demands a concern for one another. In the passages in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, we'll get to those in a minute. Um, Actually, I'm just going to turn there. In Romans chapter 12, we have the teaching of the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gifts. And he makes a very strong case in that passage how we need to be compassionate in the use and the exercise of our gifts. He goes, and, uh, after the teaching of the, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he talks in verse, 12, verse 15 about rejoicing with them that do rejoice, weeping with them that weep. You know, it's sometimes easier than we'd like to think to rejoice with those that weep and to weep with those that rejoice. The Bible says that if we have a concern for one another, when they hurt, we will hurt too. We actually feel what they feel. We're moved by what they're feeling. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have a very similar teaching, a comparable teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit again, which I think is very significant, so significant, that in both of these passages, um, you have lists or commands that need to be followed in, in connection to the exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And chapters, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verses 12 to 27, the passage talks about how a body functions. And a body that is fighting, one, that is fighting itself is not a healthy body. And conversely, he makes the point very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that a healthy body has concern and gives space and understanding. There is a commitment that happens within a healthy body. And the point is, is very significant and should be well taken, well made, I think, in 1 Corinthians, that in the exercise of our gifts and the exercise of our talents, it should not ever be without the, should not ever be in the absence of of compassion. Thirdly, then, he builds on the passage here in 1 Peter chapter 3 where he says that we are to love as brethren. In the New Testament, the word brethren is very frequently used to describe our relationship with other believers. It is one of the most, is one of the favorite terms of the writers of the New Testament to describe our relationship, and that is a family. The way that we care about each other as a church should be similar to the way the connection, the connectedness that we have with our siblings. People that are, um, have shared experiences and, and shared memories and that sort of thing. Love as brethren. 
One person has said that brotherly love is the badge of Christian fellowship, and I think that's exactly right. First John says that because God loved us first, we love him. And then as a result, we love one another. It's a perfect triangle, according to First John. It's my conviction that brotherhood is one of the things that's especially under great assault in our church, churches today. Perhaps more than any other time. It seems like somehow with the progression of technology and maybe social media and some other things, it's especially ideal, it feels ideal to do our own thing. Somehow or another, we feel empowered when we are doing the thing that motivates us, the thing that that gives me credibility, that makes me feel important, that that we, we somehow try to attend toward, maybe even unconsciously sometimes, to heroize the things that I'm doing, that I'm involved in. And it's, it, it's an assault on brotherhood. Everybody seems to want to do their thing. We talk about my calling and my vision and my interpretation. That's what really matters. And since I don't agree with what's being said, and since I differ from the position that's taken by those around me, then I'm just going to Yeah, you fill in the blank. And people do. Submission is about brotherhood. And 1 Peter 5, if you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter 3, you can just turn the page over to 1 Peter 5. There's a couple of other principles there that I'd like to build on. 1 Peter 5, it mentions specifically some teaching on submission Notice what it says there in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to one another. Yea, all of ye be subject, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. I read this verse earlier. Younger, submitting yourself to the elder. All of you be subject one to another. And he goes right on and says that submission... And humility go hand in hand. The Phillips translation says that all of you should defer to one another and wear the overalls of humility. I actually like that word picture. The overalls of humility. When I um, wear overalls, I usually am doing something that um, requires protection or something... Um, to protect myself from what's outside of me. So I wear overalls when it's cold, or I wear overalls when I'm about to do something dirty, or, or uh, about to get wet, or something like that. I like that picture when it connected to humility. It doesn't matter what set of clothes we're wearing, whether it's our work clothes, our church clothes, our school clothes, doesn't matter. Just Don't forget, when you leave the house, get into the overalls of humility. Make sure that's on top of everything else. Wear the overalls of humility on top of everything else. And so when the opportunity comes to serve, when the opportunity comes to to come alongside someone, you've got no problem. You've already got your overalls on. And you can dig right in. I find it very interesting and significant to notice that Peter is the one that writes this. He writes it in his epistle, 
First Peter. Peter had some very hard lessons to learn in this particular subject, didn't he? This particular quality. He says, Peter writes under the direction of the Holy Spirit that we are to have a willingness to bend to others. And that's what it means to be submissive. That's what it means to be clothed with humility. Being in submission does not mean, it does not ever mean that we are some spineless, limp glob of cells that just does whatever anybody says or, or, or thinks. Being in submission does not mean that we are some spineless, indecisive person. It simply means that we are willing to bend. We are flexible in our position and in our opinion. We're willing to take the lower shelf. We're willing to take the lower seat in honor or in favor of someone else. My question is, does that describe you? Does that describe me? Can that be said of me or you? Am I bendable? Am I flexible? Humility is a trait, a quality in our lives that is so precious and rare. It seems like, as it's been said, the moment you realize that we finally have it, you have already lost it. Maybe that breaks down at some points, but you get the picture. It's a precious and rare quality. And in the New Testament, at some of these various passages that I've talked to you about and preached on here this morning, the attitude of humility is so closely connected with the subject of submission. It's the very quality that the Holy Spirit wants to develop within our lives as he works within us, as he fills us day by day. He develops in us humility and submission. Humility is the magnet that reflects the glory of Jesus Christ. I was so impressed as I looked at this subject and thought about how Jesus was submissive and how he demonstrated and lived humility and submission in his life. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 9, it almost seems as if there was some sort of conversation or discussion in heaven at one point, and I'm putting this in human terms. And God was looking around for somebody to go to earth and be a savior. And in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 9, it tells us that Jesus said, I come to do thy will. And it goes on to expound on that just a little bit. I come to do thy will. Jesus was submissive to his heavenly father, just like we need to be submissive to our heavenly father. In Luke chapter 2, while he was here on earth, we have the story of Jesus in the temple. He was all of 12 years old, and he was having a great, great conversation in the temple with the the, the priests and, and, this, uh, and other people probably were around. And in verse 51, it mentions that Mary and Joseph found him. And I think probably responded a lot like any parent would that uh, is looking for a 12-year-old child and sort of uh, left him know that what he did was not real handy. And Verse 51 tells us that Jesus went with them and was subject unto them. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it was Jesus who prayed, not my will, but thine be done. On the cross, Jesus prayed 
and to thy hands I commend my spirit. I want you to turn now to John 17 and look at the passage there. John 17. Jesus' prayer, probably a combination of, of prayers uh, here, a spirit of prayer that they were in, in over the time of the Passover. I'm not completely sure where and where, when this prayer was prayed. It may have been in the upper room. It may have been in the Garden of Gethsemane. But at whatever, the prayer of Jesus here in John 17 is an is a incredible prayer. And look at verse 10. All mine are thine, he says, and thine are mine. I am glorified in them. He gets his glory from being submissive and humble, serving those around him. Verse 22, something similar. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Again, in the teachings of the Holy Spirit, it is especially easy for us to lift ourselves up and to lift up our gift, to lift up our quality or our qualification as something that God has given me. Well, he has given it to me to serve others. It's for the benefit of others, not for myself. And that is such a powerful concept that Jesus illustrated. In verses 20 to 24, he has that same concept. In verse 26, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Such a powerful concept. Submission requires humility. And Jesus had that quality. Jesus had it. And it was his prayer that we also would have that quality. <clears throat> I want to close with one more principle here in First Peter. In chapter 5, just a couple of verses later, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It mentions the importance of taming the tongue in relation to submission. The grace, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Um, uh, maybe I have the wrong um, uh, verse there. Um, I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> yeah, probably. Uh, I was thinking there was a, a verse. Oh, it's First Peter three, verse ten. It's going back to uh, chapter First Peter chapter three. He that will love life. And see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. He goes on and says, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and, and sue it, or pursue it. I think taming the tongue is sort of a deal breaker when it comes to submitting. The tongue is something that can destroy the spirit of submission like practically no other. It, what we say, the words we say, are clearly indicative of, of uh, the spirit of submission in our life. <clears throat> you know, when we're in a submissive environment, I think there's probably nothing that will blow it, anything, blow it away more, or submission away more than anything else, is what we do with our tongues, what we say. 
It's when we start talking the way we shouldn't, when we start putting on airs, when we start posturing in front of others, trying to make people think that we're something that they're not. And that's, that's the way some people were living or back here. And Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Peter, gives that, warns us not to live that way. And I want to be that sort of person. I want to take that, that to heart. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. My friends, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside the heart of a believer, old things pass away, the Bible tells us. All things become new. And while we may not feel like we have, while we may feel like we have not arrived, I think the minute that Jesus comes into our life, he lives within our hearts. The Holy Spirit takes residence in our heart. We start down the road to becoming what God wants us to be instead of what we would have been left to ourselves, instead of what we have always been prior to that time. And along the way, I think it's so important for us to have that spirit of yieldedness, yielding ourselves to to God, more and more areas of our lives. And I think it's part of what means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We say to the Holy Spirit every day, Fill my life, control me, grow me up, help me to be the person that God wants me to be. And you know, God is faithful. God is faithful to prayers like that. God is faithful in those kinds of areas. Our attitudes begin to change little by little. Our motives change. I think that I've experienced that in my life. I've watched it in in the lives of other people as well. And I tell you, it's a wonderful thing. It truly is a wonderful thing to see what God does in our lives as we grow in the Spirit of God. My prayer is that we would be submissive, that I would be a submissive person, and together as a church, we would be um, a blessing in this way, that we would grow in this way, continue to to grow in this way. My prayer is that God would show us how to do it. If you're able, I would invite you to kneel for prayer.